Taves, light circle, shoots and scores! A shorthanded goal for Jonathan Taves! Kubelik in front, he shoots and scores! Dominic Kubelik on a belief line, right circle, shoots and scores! Taves, he set it up by Carpenter to slice, shoots and scores! Patrick Kane has a thousand NHL points! It's time for another episode of Blackhawks Crazy. Presented by FanList. Zach Smith enters the Sabre zone, put it down the right wing here. Doc with the back, and he scores! Kirby Doc! Chris Bowden and Joe Brand break down the latest storylines concerning your Chicago Blackhawks. Kane now with three, put it across the ring, and shoots, he scores! The cat connects with a one-timer from the left circle. Here's Chris Bowden and Joe Brand. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a new edition of the Blackhawks Crazy Podcast, a playoff edition of the Blackhawks Crazy Podcast. We have never done a Blackhawks Crazy Podcast in the middle of a playoff series. So, hot you know what. Glad to be doing this. Chris Bowden, your pre- and post-game host on WGN Radio, along with Blackhawks reporter and uh, weekend sports anchor here at WGN Radio, Joe Brand, who uh, caught most of the game on Saturday before we dive deep into, into some of the particulars. But uh, you had yourself a nice little time at a very, uh, very unique wedding. Uh, so you caught what the first two periods or so. You caught the good parts, yeah, of, of the game. Yeah, on Saturday afternoon, we're pulling back the curtain a little bit and showing you how the sausage is made. Luckily, uh, <laughs> nowadays with technology, you can go back and watch the game. Uh, but caught the first two periods live, and the hockey gods listened to me. I, I, I had this socially distant wedding to get to at around 4.30, and I'm like, all right, just let's let's see a blowout. That way, if I, if I can't see the third period live, it won't be that big of a deal, and that was pretty much the case. They came out, you said, hot? Mm-hmm. Blackhawks came out hot. Yeah, they did. It was an impressive performance, even though they uh, gave up a power play goal. The one thing that the team and everybody talked about you can't do against the Edmonton Oilers is take penalties. And um, I believe, if uh, my sense is, the Blackhawks led the league in too many men on the ice penalties. For whatever reason, those communication breakdowns occur. Uh, and right away, a minute and a half in, boom, they get whistled. A minute later, Connor McDavid scores. But after that, the Blackhawks were uh, were able to uh, tie things up, pull things away. Think about this. in the, the last time the Blackhawks were in the playoffs, in 2017 against Nashville, they scored three goals the entire series in the four-game sweep against the Predators or by the Predators. And they had themselves four goals in a seven-minute and six-second span in the opening 12, 13 minutes of this one. And uh, what fun that was. Then it was just a matter of trying to stay out of the penalty box enough so Edmonton couldn't catch up to them. But on top of that, uh, the real headliner in this is the uh, uh, the Dominic Kubalik cha-ching tour. Um, <laughs> I was joking with Troy in the postgame the other night. Well, he said... Well, uh, hopefully, uh, Dominic Kubelik's agent wasn't watching this game, <laughs> although I'm sure word eventually filters down even if he wasn't. And uh, hopefully, Stan Bowman wasn't watching too close. We know that isn't happening. But it presents uh, another dilemma as great and as fun as we're enjoying the work of uh, the Calder Trophy finalist. He comes up with a five-point game. Only, uh, what, four or five other Blackhawks have done that in history. He's the first player in NHL history to debut as a rookie in the playoffs with a five-point contest. And, uh, man, oh, man, uh, when we talked to him uh, during training camp here at uh, in Chicago, uh, he says he was a little worried he wouldn't be able to pick up where he left off, uh, finishing off that game on March 11th with his 30th goal of the season. And after fairly quiet training camp, 
He certainly did. And that line with himself and Jonathan Taves and Brandon Saad, which throughout training camp was instead Alex Dabrinkit on the left side, just so happens that Jeremy decides to put uh, uh, Kubalik back on the left side with Taves in that exhibition game against St. Louis. And I think it worked. I think it worked, to say the least. And part of that, of course, had to do with effectiveness of the power play, too. I think a lot of things worked. And you go to the beginning of the game, everything you mentioned, I, it seemed like it was going to be so bleak. Because here come the Hawks, out so strong the first few minutes, looking like definitely the more aggressive team, again, just the first few minutes. And then you, you cough up such a preventable penalty with too many men on the ice. And of course, it's Connor McDavid. And of course, that's how Edmonton breaks the scoreless tie. Kudos on the Hawks for, for being resilient. And um, I know we'll get into the goalie situation for Edmonton a little bit, but I mean, Mike Smith coughs up that awful pass, if you even want to call it that. Dylan Strom's right on top of it. I mean, these guys did not give up right away. And you talk about Dominic Kubelik worried about can he return to his form? I thought everybody did, at least return to the form of when this team clicks. That's what they showed signs of in Saturday's game. I, I really like Kirby Doc. How many times do we hear about how much he's he's grown physically and, and he's bulked up and he's used this hiatus as finally a breakaway from actually playing hockey to train for hockey? I mean, he was muscling guys off in the corner. He was all over. I mean, and compared to forwards, he had the second most time played just next to Patrick Kane. So everybody pitched in. Oli Mata stopped a, a goal right near the post in the second period, I believe. Everybody pitched in, and that's what you need in these types of games. And right when they set up this whole resumption of play situation, what did we say? We said teams don't want to play the Blackhawks because they can be lightning in a bottle. And they kind of showed that on Saturday. Now it's just a matter of continuing it and also staying on to that box. Yeah, and uh, we do have to temper the Kool-Aid. It is just one game, but we also have heard time and again the importance of winning the opener of a five-game series. More than 80% of the time of the team that wins game one goes on to capture the series. And um, that is with the caveat of how powerful this Edmonton Oilers team is. However, for the most part, five on five, the Blackhawks had their number. It's just a matter of staying out of the penalty box. We'll hear Connor Murphy address that a little bit later on. We'll also, you talked about the job that Kirby Doc, uh, among many others, did with uh, how they were able to control the puck, win board battles. Uh, the Blackhawks, uh, far and away, were the better team on Saturday afternoon. Now it's a matter of continuing to do that. And along those lines, we mentioned the great game that Dominic Kubalik had, but hand in hand of that, uh, you know, when, when Kubalik and Taves were, were put together, Midway through the season, uh, or perhaps a little bit before that, that's when Kubalik really had his game and his offensive production take off. And Jonathan Taves himself, uh, who I believe had a fairly frustrating training camp for for the two weeks that they were in Chicago here, um, he certainly answered the bell getting on the board after the Dylan Strom goal. A break, a break that the Blackhawks, you know, uh, will gladly accept with the uncharacteristic poor uh, puck carrying by Mike Smith, who perhaps is the best goalie in the league at doing that. Better way to describe it than I did. Let's, let's, uh, let's a puck get away, and Dylan Strom is able to take advantage, and just like he did in scoring a goal in that exhibition against St. Louis, being aggressive on the puck, forechecking, backchecking, and, and able to stay with the puck, stay with the play, and that allowed him to steal the puck away, and as Smith was retrieving it, uh, retreating to the to the goal mouth, it, it uh, caromed off him, and that gave the Blackhawks the equalizer. Then it was Taves on the power play. Saad, 
about a minute and a half later, and then Taves once again some three and a half minutes later, scoring his second of the period. And I thought Mark Lazarus of the Athletic had a real interesting and uh, uh, fun and and kind of grounded way of looking at Jonathan Taves, him being back in his element after missing the playoffs for a couple of straight years and having uh, a very frustrating playoff the last time the Blackhawks were in the postseason against Nashville with the numbers I just mentioned offensively. Um, he got back in the driver's seat for this game and uh, did what he normally does in playoff situations when the Blackhawks have been so successful during their Stanley Cup runs. And yes, I, I'm not jumping the gun and alluding to the fact that, or alluding to the possibility that this could be a Stanley Cup run, but it's a captain. Uh, putting that C on his chest like he always has, and playing like one. And that line, with um, the sturdiness and the bulk that those three guys bring, Kubalik, Taves, and Saad, they were certainly tone setters in that first period, both on the power play and in five-on-five. And, uh, man, if they can keep that going, that's certainly a a good sign and maybe gets in the heads of uh, some of these uh, Oilers superstars in McDavid and Dreisaitl. Well, the whole roster is just so unique. It was so crazy to me to learn that, number one, the Hawks have the youngest roster right. of all the teams still available. Um, how about the fact that Doc Emmerich said this in the opening call, that half the roster has never played in a playoff game? I, I mean, that's that's pretty jarring to real Blackhawks fans that have known the Stanley Cup run that they went on during that year, whatever, six-year span. But th- that that's so unique because you have guys in a totally different environment never playing this type of adrenaline hockey, and then you've got the other guys, like you said, Taves and Mark Lazarus's um, awareness of, of saying back in his in his element. I, I mean, it's kind of such a great resurgence for these guys. Uh, you bring up Dominic Kubelik. He just, his awareness on the ice on Saturday was, was fantastic. And, and I think, again, this, this is how this team can perform so well and click when they're not relying on the goal scorers of Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane. They just happen, and that's kind of what was going on Saturday. Again, it's one game, got to pump the brakes. Edmonton is still the better team on paper, but the Blackhawks showed Saturday how much better they can be than Edmonton. Yeah, and uh, Kubelik, the three assists in the first period, the two power play goals in the second period, but uh, on that go-ahead goal by Jonathan Taves on the power play, it was Kubelik uh, uh, retrieving the puck from uh, the corner and just having the awareness to put the puck in a certain area, knowing that Jonathan Taves may not be there at that moment, but he would be moving into that slot that was uncovered by Edmonton on their penalty kill and sure enough the captain went in and uh, did a one-timer and slammed it right past Mike Smith to, to give the Hawks the lead and it would be the lead for good on their way to that four-goal first period uh, en route to a, a 6-4 to four victory. So there's a couple of other things from Game 1 that we want to cover, but uh, there is news on Sunday afternoon here shortly before we record this podcast that Drake Ajula has indeed been suspended for one game for his high hit to the head, or hit to the head, it's kind of redundant, but hit to the head uh, of Tyler Ennis of the Edmonton Oilers in the second period. There wasn't a penalty called at the time. Uh, Ennis um, uh, was uh, shaken up on the play, and you know, uh, looking at it a little more closely and with it slowed down, uh, there were a couple of strides there that Drake had before the contact. I also think that on so many of these cases where you're initially aiming your body is somewhere different where your opponent's body eventually ends up. So I don't think there was any intent on Drake's part 
a step or two prior to that, he thinking he's probably thinking he's going to go shoulder to shoulder. It just so happened that Tyler Ennis's head happened to dip down to meet where Drake's shoulder was at the time. I don't think it was anything premeditated at all. And um, uh, in the end, uh, Drake Kajula gets a, a one-game suspension, and now the Blackhawks uh, have to have to call in their reserves already. Well, I think the long and short of it is you got to be careful in those situations. Um, whether or not it was intent, I mean, you, you got to know that 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 situation might arise that his head is going to go towards your shoulder. It's it's water under the bridge. Luckily, Ennis was fine. Uh, but yeah, this this does put a burden on the Hawks because how much did we talk about that third line being such a an important aspect of this series? Because you've got the stars of Connor McDavid and uh, Drysidel going against the Taves and Kane's line, and now you've got the third line that that could provide the difference in this series. We saw a little bit of it on Saturday, but pretty much the Blackhawks as a whole just overperformed. Uh, but that's why it's such a big situation. And, and we also talked about Kajula's presence in the playoffs, how he can be a game-changer. You heard uh, Jeremy Colleton, we'll hear later, talk about how he's he's a guy that, that goes into the corners and does the gritty stuff, and, and a guy that can swing momentum. So that's a guy that you really could use in the playoffs, and now they're without him for Game 2. Yeah, something that uh, the entire team did very well, and they're going to have to certainly pick that up with whoever fills the uh, roster spot uh, for Drake Kajula, lineup spot for Drake Kajula. But uh, we wanted to get some of the reaction we heard from uh, not only Jeremy Carlton, you'll hear from him in a moment on uh, news of the one-game suspension, but hear uh, some of Dylan Strom's thoughts on the one-game suspension for Drake Kajula. I think, like I said before, Drake's uh, an important player for us, so... Um, you know, obviously, sucks sucks for him to be out for a game. Um, you know, we got a uh, you know a lot of guys here that that can step in and and uh, you know hopefully kind of try to emulate emulate what he does. Um, you know, he's a, a guy that, like I said, two hundred foot player and, and hits a lot of bodies and and uh, you know finds a way to get some chances and create some momentum for us. So um, he's an important player. Um, like I said, we have a lot of depth here, so hopefully, uh, you know, it doesn't uh, take too much wind out of our sails. Um, but you know, uh, he's a he's a great player, so it's gonna be tough to to you know have him without without him for a game. Feel bad for Jules. Uh, he's of course been uh, he's excited about this series, playing his old team. It was kind of a bang bang play. Uh, you know, he went hard, and and uh, I don't think he was definitely wasn't trying to catch him in the head, but he did, and uh, so you know the NHL made the decision, and, and we'll. Of course, we uh, wish we had Jules in lineup, but we won't, and we got to find a way to, uh, you know, someone's going to go in and, and make a difference. I don't know who it's going to be yet. We haven't decided. Um, I think it's also kind of established the standard for what, uh, how they're they're going to uh, deal with those types of hits. Um, you know, I as the series goes on and as the other series goes on, I'm sure it's going to get a little more physical. So um, now we know. Hey, Jeremy, I just want to go back to Kajula for a second. Some people may say, outside people may say, you know, third line forward, not that big a deal to lose somebody that like that. But what what does it mean to you guys to lose Drake for one game? Yeah, well, he, you know, he provides an element uh, we don't have a lot of uh, just physical and um, gritty player, likes to go to the net, likes to, you know, get in those 50-50 situations and, uh, he can kind of do different things. He's he's killed penalties for us. He's played up and down the lineup. Um, so he's certainly he's he's a big part of our team. Um, we'll get him back, but but for tomorrow, 
that's an opportunity for someone else. And uh, that's what playoffs are all about. You you find a way to get wins uh, with what you have. So whether it's a, uh, a Dylan Sakura who ended up having a strong finish to his camp, although uh, albeit a, a different style player than Drake Kajula is, or if they wanted to go style-wise, you know, maybe uh, Brandon Hagel gets the call to fill that particular roster spot, or maybe it's someone I'm not even mentioning here. And you know, uh, by the time we have a fresh podcast out, we're we're gonna we're gonna uh, refresh after game number three. And uh, by the time some of you are listening here, uh, there may be an answer to that. But nevertheless, uh, this is where you have to call on your depth and and uh, the possibilities the players that the Blackhawks have to choose from are some of those younger guys uh, looking for their opportunity. Uh, Brandon Hagel making his NHL debut in that final game before the pause, and it was a very impressive one at that, a very impressive performance. And then Dylan Sakura, he's had his uh, ups and downs, but did finish with a a pretty strong training camp. But uh, for the here and now, everyone was preaching following that game on Saturday, and now as we've listened to them through Sunday, how much better they are going to have to be. They expect a much better effort from the Edmonton Oilers and I had a chance to go back and listen to Connor McDavid's post-game comments and even more so their head coach Dave Tippett about how they were not ready how they weren't nearly aggressive enough and that's the the way they need to play in order for their offensive stars to feed off that that's that's pretty much the premise of of any any hockey team you, you got to have your role players doing what they do but everyone buying in and they weren't necessarily doing that, even though it looked that way on that early power play goal. So the Blackhawks are going to have to find a way to raise their game even further because you know there is going to be a sense of desperation in Game 2 for the Oilers. Yeah, you hope this isn't a wake-up call for the Edmonton Oilers because it very well could be um, providing more reason for the Hawks to be on top of their game. Dylan Strom said it best that Edmonton's power play, they just know how to find each other. It's just everything is so crisp about the passing and the shot selection, and granted, the the Blackhawks showed that with their power play on Saturday too. Uh, but they know how dangerous things can get when you go into the box. Uh, going back to somebody filling the void of Drake Kajula, who that man will be. Uh, I I kind of like the idea of the Dylan Sakura filling in because of how great of a training camp or second training camp, if you will, that he had. Kind of ride that hot hand, ride that momentum. That you know, we'll hear from both um, Brandon Saad. And was it Connor Murphy or Dylan Strome that commented on the camaraderie? Yeah, it was Dylan Strome. Yeah, I, I, I like that comment, too, because it, it definitely seemed like a resurged Blackhawks team. And maybe this whole delay with the pandemic and not playing hockey and then just jump into a playoff-like atmosphere, that's what that's the shot in the arm this team needed. But, heck, I mean, I, I feel like a little more momentum can hurt, like a Dylan Sakura. So who knows what Jeremy Colleton and and the front office will do, but it, it's definitely going to be something to look at for that third line for Game 2. And Dave Tippett will go to Miko Koskinen, and there's no doubt about that after uh, what Mike Smith went through. Smith had a couple of bad breaks, but let's also be honest, it was Mike Smith who has been Tippett's guy historically. It was Smith and Tippett who combined, if you want to use that phrase, back in 2012 as uh, those those uh, folks, the coach and goalie with the Arizona Coyotes that uh, knocked the Blackhawks out of the first round back in 2012 and Smith was absolutely lights out. 
But Smith's season this year wasn't quite as strong as Koskinen's, especially down the stretch. And it was Smith who was in net for both games the Blackhawks won against Edmonton in the regular season. Koskinen in the net for the game in Edmonton with the Oilers won by a final score of 5-3. to three. And um, even though Tippett said prior to the series starting that he believes both goalies are, are going to get some playing time, I don't think it was that quickly that he intended to make a switch. And the Blackhawks forced his hand there after they went up 5-2 following Dominic, uh, Dominic Kubelik's first of two power play goals in that second period. So the Blackhawks' power play, uh, before we hear a little bit more about what the Hawks did well, other things the Hawks did well, and what they certainly need to work on, uh, which is uh, kind of sticking out like a sore thumb, but the Blackhawks' power play, uh, here's something interesting. They scored uh, more than one power play goal in a game twice in the first 69 games of the season. Then that final game before the break, I believe they went two for three against San Jose, which is one of the top penalty killings, if not the top penalty killer killing team in the league. That was the one thing they did well. And then on Saturday against the number two PK team in the league, they go three for six. So perhaps something's been unearthed here that we've been waiting. Oh, I think except for with the exception of one season over the past decade, the first year that Artemi Panarin was here when the Hawks had a top 10 power play. Uh, maybe something got on, on earth a little bit here, but there have been a couple of different chess pieces that have been moved around as well. Yes, you have you have Kane and you have Taves uh, as kind of the, the stalwarts on the power play, but Dominic Kubelik certainly wasn't on the power play all year long. Perhaps he should have been. Kirby Dock has moved into that low position in front of the goalie, while Kubelik is uh, is kind of the bumper in the middle between Jonathan Taves on one side and Patrick Kane on the other, and Duncan Keith. Uh, Jeremy Carlton has, you know, preached time and again, you have to shoot, shoot, shoot from the top, uh, and, and make those penalty killers honest enough to know that you're going to, uh, not, not going to be afraid to shoot from the top. And Duncan Key started to do that a little bit more. And so from that aspect, they've made themselves a little bit more dangerous with the pieces that they've had and a little bit with the, with the philosophy that they've undertaken of, you know, sticking Taves now to the outside and putting, you know, a couple of bigger bodies right there in the middle, both right in front of the net and Kirby docking in the bumper position with Dominic Kubelik. Yeah. I think a couple things. Uh, helped the Blackhawks' power play on Saturday. I mean, you broke it down pretty well. It was just constant presence in front of the net, too. It provided a, a big factor. I talk about the resurgence of playoffs. I think that played a role, too. But the other thing is, how many times this year do we see the Blackhawks needing a power play goal to break the schneid of getting within a goal or to tie the game or, or you know to end the goal drought? On Saturday, Dylan Strome just, you know, picks up a mistake by Mike Smith to tie the game. So that pressure is kind of taken off. And now when you go on to the power play, it's not like, okay, we really need a goal right here. Mm -hmm. There's a lot less pressure there. And that's where Jonathan Taves comes on Johnny on the spot once again, like we said, back in his element. So I think that helps. Hopefully it can be the same type of scenario for Game 2 because I think there's just a big difference of getting a power play goal and needing a power play goal. And they didn't quite need it on Saturday. It, it turned out to be a huge amount of help, especially when you're beating Edmonton at their own game. Um, but but the fact that they they pulled through with a lot less uh, pressure, I think, can help out a lot. Yeah, and, and going back just to double-check, yes, San Jose had the top penalty kill in the league at 85-7 during the regular season. Edmonton was at 84-4 as the number 2 penalty killing unit in the league, so 
I don't know what it is. You know, we, we kind of fiddled around with uh, some of the things that have been tweaked here. But, uh, you know, if, if you start getting on a roll in the confidence factor on the power play, I mean, you just have to look at look at Edmonton, how they're licking their chops anytime, you know, one of their opponents uh, sustains a penalty. Well, uh, the Blackhawks certainly have a newfound jump in their step and a newfound belief in their power play uh, with what they were not only able to do in that final game, even if they remembered it of uh, the regular season before the pause, but they converted a couple times in that exhibition against St. Louis, and that certainly had to help, uh, not to mention what they did on Saturday afternoon. So on the other side of things, yes, that is certainly something the Blackhawks do have to work on. We'll get to that in a moment uh, in terms of a a secondary question during this next clip of sound we're going to play for you. So we'll go from one end of the spectrum to the other. You'll hear Connor Murphy talk about the one thing that Sticks out that the Blackhawks do need to improve on. But Dylan Strom was also asked uh, during the media availability on Sunday afternoon about one thing that, that Troy and I discussed during the, the course of the broadcast during the intermissions in the post game. They were winning all the battles. They were great on puck retrievals. That also fed into the success on the power play and, and how aggr- much more aggressive the Blackhawks were winning those battles, getting along the boards, winning races to pucks, and how that played into the eventual 6-4 victory. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's important. Um, you know, we we're trying to get the puck in deep. Obviously, it's playoff hockey, so uh, trying to limit the turnovers and uh, get on the forecheck. So, um, we did that a couple times yesterday, and we're uh, able to manage some good pressure. But um, it was nice to to find one there and, and bank it in. So, um, obviously, it's a it's a good start for us. Hey, Connor, uh, it's obviously no secret how good Edmonton's power play is. Where were the breakdowns happening in your eyes yesterday? And what kind of corrections can you guys make outside of the obvious of staying out of the box? Yeah, they know how to find each other, uh, all their guys uh, on that top unit. And they've been uh, top PP most this year. So um, I don't think there's really one specific thing, but um, I think we'll, we'll look back at uh, some more video either later today or tomorrow morning uh, to prepare for that. And uh, Obviously, it's not the, the kind of game we wanted with how uh, a lot of those power plays ended up. Um, they're able to find a lot of that uh, that middle guy or even the cross team that kind of um, put us out of sorts a couple times and then uh, a little bit scrambly after that. So we'll just hopefully adjust. Well, after 60 minutes of action, I guess as we head into uh, games two and three of this series, the big question will probably be um, which team is going to fix their penalty kill first <laughs> because the Blackhawks uh, certainly were very well aware of the potency of that Edmonton power play. It had been 41 years in the NHL since a team had as high of a power play uh, conversion percentage as the Edmonton Oilers did this past season when they clicked on 29.5%. Uh, they did even better than, uh, than that uh, on, in Game 1 uh, against, the, uh, against the Blackhawks as uh, they were able to convert on 3 of 4 so stay out of the box, boys, and uh, it, it's almost it's almost Harlem Globetrotterish watching that Edmonton power play, and that's the thing that kind of makes you cringe. The Blackhawks took four penalties in that opening uh, in that opening game. I think by and large, you'll take that. Uh, you don't want to you don't want to go higher than that. You hope to keep it under that, and you hope with four you can do a little bit better job of converting. The big surprise here was how the Blackhawks power play was able to convert against that Edmonton penalty kill. But the, when you look at that firepower, what is it? Twelve power play goals this season for James Neal on that number one unit. 
McDavid had 11 power play goals. Leon Dreisaitl had 16 power play goals. So you got three double-digit guys on that top unit for Edmonton. So needless to say, stay out of the box. And if you're going to go in the box, you got to find a way. And uh, you heard Connor Murphy there talking about going back to the tape, talking it over a little bit, figuring out coverage areas, trying to recognize some tendencies. But one thing even Edmonton talks about when they're asked about it. That was the one positive they were asked about in, in the postgame show on, on the postgame on Saturday is that the guys know each other well. And uh, uh, even though this is a new head coach uh, putting in perhaps little tweaks to the system, uh, those guys know where each other are, know how to read opposing penalty kill defenses and uh, just seem to have an, an uncanny knack for finding the back of the net when they're on the power play. Well, going back to, you know, where does your team feel the most pressure? If they just take care of business on five-on-five, on five, it shouldn't really matter that much. You bring up four... Provided you neutralize the special teams. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, well, again, we, I don't think any of us were expecting to see what the Blackhawks did on the power play, but... Again, they just looked so much more aggressive on the five-on-five. They they weren't rushing shots. They weren't taking too long, a, a problem we've seen so many times with this team. They just seemed very in sync, a lot of good chemistry. As you mentioned, winning those battles. Because, I mean, let's face it, Edmonton is such a quick team. Okay, maybe you're not going to outskate them every single time, but if you can put that extra effort and those battles on the boards, in the corners, and things like that, that that's effort over talent you're going to put yourself in a better spot. And I think Saturday was a perfect example of that. Uh, I mean, heck, even Dylan Strome went on to say that's that's something we got to work on. Or, or I'm sorry, Jeremy Colleton then uh, talked about it, it's it's tough to to really slow down Edmonton because you want to be just as quick with your offensive transition. And, and that's got to be key for moving these lines around. But you also have to make sure that... Um, you're staying on top of them defensively. So it's it's a real fine line to walk, but I think the Hawks just, just did a very good job of doing it because, again, those those small battles. Yeah, and uh, five-on-five, five, this, this is nothing new to Edmonton with their five-on-five five play because during the course of the season, they were a minus 16 in five-on-five. Five. And we heard Jeremy, we heard guys like Ryan Carpenter and a couple of defensemen, saying leading into this series, if you're going to have stand a chance, not only do you have to stay out of the box, but when you're playing five-on-five, five, you have to find a way to keep the puck away from specifically those top two lines for the Edmonton Oilers with the NHL's top two scorers centering each of those top two lines. And that's what the Blackhawks did. And this is something that Edmonton has struggled with just based on that five-on-five goal differential during the course of the regular season. That's something they're going to have to try and figure out because the Blackhawks won that won that battle hands down uh, on Saturday afternoon. And uh, you expect a greater, a greater effort for Edmonton when it comes to those things come Monday and, and Wednesday nights. But they haven't been able to consistently do that all season long. They're going to have to change their colors and stripes a little bit in order to win this series. Well, the one thing I, I said a few podcasts ago was during the quarantine the team that prepares the best, not the most, because again, you're talking the mental approach, the 
uh, scouting approach on the other team, actual conditioning and training and everything. I mean, the Blackhawks seem to ace that test so far in Game 1, but there's got to be some credit to Jeremy Colleton, too, with with the way he runs this offense, the way he runs this team. I mean, he's faced critics left and right, and you know, there's been the talk of, of players not respecting him or, or not following along with what he has to say or his philosophy. I mean, Connor Murphy said today... We've been playing freely offensively since Colleton came in, and he's stayed consistent with staying positive and improving. I mean, heck, how many times in the press conferences after games, Colleton's never been satisfied uh, because he always thinks the the team can take one more step forward. And I, I think just the consistency of having him here now for, I mean, heck, has it been kind of two years now? Yeah, assuming, yeah. So, I mean, there is some stability to that because th- this this team has become more cohesive, and that's with the players and the coach. Yeah, and, and between the team adjusting to him when he first took over for perhaps, if not the greatest, the second greatest coach in NHL history when Joel was excused, uh, or when Joel was fired, let's put it bluntly, when Joel was fired, uh, between the veterans who knew no one but Joel throughout most of their careers, having to adjust to uh, changes in in philosophies and, and approaches, and then you know being bitten by injury bugs here and there, not to make excuses. But he now has a full deck of cards in, uh, in his hand now with what, at this point, is a fully healthy roster. It got, got a little scary there <laughs> during the stages of training camp, but now he has a full deck of cards he's dealing with. Now, is that going to last through an entire playoff? Well, no. We've already seen Drake Ajula being excused for a game. But to have most of his big names and big guys who have played under him for a while, who know what he's looking for, um, have, have a sense of um, you know uh, cohesion. I think uh, that also goes a long way. And again, we say this, that this is only one game, and we go into this next clip of sound uh, with that caveat, too. It is only one game. Everyone is feeling good about themselves and about their teammates when you win the opening game of a playoff series. But I thought, and it's something I, I kind of noticed from a distance because we haven't been able to mingle with the guys in the locker room since they came back from the pause, but there seemed to be a heightened sense of, yeah, we got this second chance now. Uh, we're lucky to have the second chance because 2020, but let's see what we can do with it because, you know, consistency has always been, since Jeremy took over, a bugaboo for this squad, whether it was because not being able to automatically relate to new systems or because of injuries. And we saw that during the course of, of this second year under Jeremy, but... Um, when they would flash, there would be real encouraging signs. They just couldn't keep it up. And now we get to see whether the Blackhawks are able to keep this up in what becomes more of a little bit of a mental game with a short five-game playoff series, and you're facing elimination. And now that they have that one in their back pocket, I thought Brandon Saad, uh, following his performance uh, along with Taves and Kubalik on that top line, a guy who's won two Stanley Cups and has seen nothing but kind of difficult times from a team standpoint since returning from Columbus, said something interesting in the postgame uh, yesterday, a uh, Saturday, and then I followed that up with Dylan Strom on Sunday, and it's basically Brandon saying from the time he's come back here, camaraderie is 
at an all-time high level, as high as he has seen it, the the teamwork and the energy level and the excitement. Now, granted, that'll happen when you score four goals in a seven-minute span in one period and reverse a one nothing deficit. So uh, this can change whatever the next game's, game's result is, of course. But uh, you'll hear Brandon's statement after I asked Dylan Strom to react to what Saad had to say about the team's camaraderie on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, I think the the excitement's higher than normal. You know, it's it's a unique situation. It's different without fans and being in a bubble, things like that. But uh, the camaraderie on the team is is at an all time high. I think everyone's excited to be here, be in playoff action, and obviously, anytime you're you're scoring goals, you're hooting and hollering. So, um, yeah, it was just a great feeling overall today. Yeah, I think it's uh, no. I think we've been a close team all year. We uh, you know, love to hang out and. Um, there's really no uh, no bad blood or animosity on the team. I think everyone's uh, everyone's good friends, and um, we enjoy being around each other. I think uh, the bubble's only bringing that bringing that in in closer. So um, we're hanging out a lot, playing some cards, uh, playing video games, uh, watching hockey. So I think it's just uh, little, I think it helps getting off to win against St. Louis too. Um, it's obviously the team morale is obviously higher. Uh, you know when you win. So um, obviously two wins to start is is a, is a great great way to start and. Um, hopefully we can uh, you know, keep following that up. Joe Brandon Sod isn't, isn't the kind of guy when you talk to him where he will come up with statements that kind of go, make you go, hmm. But I thought that was out of all the Blackhawks, both Jeremy and the four players that uh, addressed the media following the game on Saturday. To me, that was that was the most – he volunteered that. And to me, that was uh, the most interesting comment of everything that we heard after Saturday's game. And, and yes, you're going to be energized. You're going to be excited when you come out and erupt like the Blackhawks did in that first period and are able to more or less cruise to a victory. Uh, uh, again, that, that camaraderie and excitement it lasts as long as, as the next game is result, which – could you know potentially test them with an entire 180 if the Edmonton Oilers should happen to turn their tables on them Monday night. But I thought for a guy like Brandon Saad to come out and say that, I, I thought it was real interesting and real telling, and I'm inclined to believe that just based on what we've kind of seen between the lines with the energy level that the Blackhawks are doing with this opportunity. You talk about 180. How about the outlook on this team from a few weeks ago? We thought at one point, maybe not all at the same time, but at one point... We thought the Blackhawks were not going to have Corey Crawford, Jonathan Taves, Calvin DeHaan, Connor Murphy, <laughs> and you know, there's no way this team can go on past a, a best of five series against the top penalty or rather power play in the league, and that all goes to waste after just 60 minutes on Saturday. I, I agree with you. I think there's reason to believe what Brandon Saad is saying. Also, because Brandon Saad is a guy on the ice that creates momentum just by individual effort. Now he's using it with his words. Um, I, I, I totally can believe this type of situation. Again, it's one game. We'll see how they come out in game two, because again, you could see this being a wake-up call for Edmonton too, but um, it, it seemed like Connor Murphy really echoed on what Brandon Saad had to say, and it's cool to see a guy like Saad saying it rather than Jonathan Taves or Patrick Kane, who, you know, if they say it, it still has the same validity, but it could come off more as just a uh, word speaker, you know, just, just, I'm sorry, lip, lip service. This seems like it, it kind of came from a, a more unique source and something that you weren't really expecting to say. Like you said, he voluntarily went out and said it. So, mm. so hopefully they can continue it. Yeah. And, and this is all part of, 
you know, the NCAA tournament like uh, format of this because it's the old 12 5. And what did we see later on Saturday night? Well, we saw another 12. The Montreal Canadiens beat the Pittsburgh Penguins in overtime after the Penguins had a chance with three minutes to go in regulation to win it on a penalty shot. And then Montreal gets their own penalty shot in overtime. Jonathan Drouin totally flubs that one, couldn't even uh, keep control of the puck. But nevertheless, they are able to win it on the Petrie overtime goal. So, all of a sudden, a best-of-five series, you get a surprise in Game 1. Uh, how much the belief level, if there if there isn't already a, a, a second chance, a second life belief level for these 10, 11, and 12 seeds being granted a playoff position when they normally wouldn't have, and now when you go out and capture Game 1 like the Blackhawks did and like the Montreal Canadiens did, it just kind of adds to the buzz and the excitement level. Now, you know, On Sunday, you have... The 11 seed, the Arizona Coyotes, knocking off the Nashville Predators 4-3 in the opening game of that series. So it's it's this new life where you have this opportunity, and I, I'd i imagine in a room, you can't help but everybody thinking, why not? Let, let's let's just roll the dice and see what we can we can make the most of it. Especially with the way it was all set up, we've said it multiple times the Blackhawks are were the last team to sneak into this this playoff setup, and and it's so crazy because they might be the most lethal team in this type of situation. I I'm not old enough to witness the best of five hockey series in the playoffs firsthand. I mean, obviously I can go back and look on the statistics, but I know it from a baseball standpoint and. An, I'm I, not a huge believer in the fact that if you win the first game of a best-of-five series in a baseball series that uh, you've got the full, or rather the biggest momentum swing. But it's different with hockey because you don't have different goaltenders like you have different starting pitchers. I mean, those are your teams. The, the, you you know what you failed upon the previous game, so you, you've got that in the back of your head. And hockey is such a momentous game, that's why it's important for the Hawks to just keep it pedal to the metal, keep those good vibes, keep that energy, five-on-five energy, and don't put too much pressure on yourself with the power play or the PK. I'm fascinated to see, and by yeah, again, by the time we do our next podcast, I'm fascinated to see what the opening five or ten minutes of game number two on Monday night looks yeah. like. Uh, and uh, when we come back uh, after uh, on Thursday, uh, after game three, uh, I tend to... Uh, I'm not a believer that uh, we'll we'll be talking about a Blackhawks sweep. Uh, I certainly hope so. That that certainly would be nice. But uh, between the give and take and the nature of the playoffs or the pushback, you know, whether it's a, a two-one series lead or a two-one deficit, um, uh, I won't be surprised at anything. Uh, I, I would be surprised, but it doesn't mean I'm not hoping for the Blackhawks to make quick work, especially uh, if they do happen to uh, jump out to. Uh, a quick lead and uh, something that they feel good about and can protect in in game number two on Monday night. So, uh, as as we always say, we will see how this all plays out. And the and the games come fast and furious. By the time um, the puck drops at nine thirty, this podcast will be out of date. But uh, we'll get something fresh to you following game three. Because if this does, series does extend to a game four and a game five. Those will come in in quick fashion on both Friday and Saturday to determine who gets to advance to the uh, the first round of the playoffs. Well, here's a positive outlook for you. The next time we record a podcast, we'll either be talking about a Blackhawk sweep 
or heading into game four. Mm-hmm. So there will be more hockey either way. All right. Uh, hope you guys uh, enjoyed. Uh, it was my first chance to do a playoff game with uh, with John and Troy. That's the other and- thing I was going to say. We both got the monkey off our back. Right. My first day on, or my first year on the job is when they got swept by Nashville. Your first year was the following season. I thought we were the bad luck charm, but... Uh, Finally proving the haters wrong. And there, there'll be that killjoy out there who says, no, you didn't do a playoff game until they win this series True. and then move on to the next round. We're taking what we can get we're, right now. We're going with the NHL has exactly called this, and that is a, a, a qualifying round playoff series. So uh, it's great to enjoy playoff hockey. There I said it again, uh, once again for the Blackhawks, and they gave us an exciting reason uh, to uh, look forward to games numbers two and three and see how the rest of this series against the high-powered Edmonton Oilers plays out. We thank you for listening. want to thank our producer, Curtis Koch, Ernie Scatton as well. And uh, again, we'll plan on getting a fresh podcast to you at some point on Thursday following game number three. And uh, keep an eye out for that. This will be on WGNRadio.com. Of course, we encourage you to subscribe, so it will be there automatically in your mailbox whenever we uh, post one. And you can also follow myself and Joe on Twitter at at Bowden Tweets, and Joe is at at Joe underscore brand one, the number one. And uh, hopefully we'll be talking about more Blackhawks victories, at least one more Blackhawk victory. What the heck? Why not two come uh, Thursday? But nevertheless, uh, we'll be talking uh, about uh, another game for the Blackhawks by the time we come back with a new, fresh Blackhawks crazy podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Blackhawks Crazy Podcast. Tell a friend, subscribe, and join the conversation. And follow the guys on Twitter, at Bowden Tweets, and at Joe underscore brand one. That was great!